So, okay, we're live. Hey. So, uh, I guess this is the Off the Rails podcast. Yeah, that's and, what it is. Theory um, and conversation. Yeah, you know, so we're here. Um, my name is Ian Savage. I am a writer over at the Modern Overman blog. And, you know, we, Josh and I here, um, uh, I guess, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, yeah, I guess I can, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can just uh, it's a, Yeah, it's going to be two people, but he's just going to talk the entire time for both of us. It's, I'm just here to moderate himself. Yeah. No, uh, I'm Josh Simpson. <laughs> um, I run the blog, The Only One. Um, which is you know significantly better than his blog, but we will, we'll get we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll work out the details. But, <laughs> uh, basically, we we came together. Uh, we're old friends from high school, and uh, long story short, <clears throat> he married my wife and I. That sounds weird. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, For a second, I thought you said I didn't let you finish. I thought you were like he married my wife, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did not. Okay, my wife and I. Okay, yeah, I'm glad my you, wife and I. Yeah, I'm glad you, you didn't marry that. us individually. You married us together. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and. Uh, we have found great time together conversating about many things, politics, philosophy, kind of everything. Uh, he has a more, I guess, cultural commentary on your... I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess that's fair. I guess, you know, a lot of the stuff, you are probably more scientific in nature when it comes to a lot of your, you know, your points that you structure your arguments with. For me, you know... I guess, yeah, a lot of my ideals just have to go, you know, probably more of a cultural standpoint just because of how, you know, I think far we've come. Mm-hmm. So, like, as human-wise, you know, I'm not thinking, you know, I obviously think it's important to look back. I'm not discrediting science. I'm just saying that, like, there's certain things that we talk about, whether on a political scale or, you know, all these polarizing issues that I think, you know, are just basically cultural problems. We have a problem with our culture. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, that's, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I think... Uh, well, I guess over at, at uh, Modern Overman, the kind of project that I'm interested in is is having just getting into hard issues, and I think that Josh and I coming together is um, that's the merging of of those projects is having a good conversation. You know, we subtitled it "Theory and Conversation." Um, because we think we've got something good going on, basically, sure. right? You know, yeah, it's, no, we do. It's yeah. coming together. You know, we don't always agree, which I think is great yes. that we can even have a conversation. You know, because that seems so rare uh, today. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we decided to do this podcast because you know one one of the main funny things is uh, Ian was over. I had a bunch of friends over, and we got in a pretty heated debate about an article. Um, about you know kind of the implications of what the author was trying to say, and we got we got pretty heavy uh, heated in the debate, and in a nice way. We always know that we're just doing it for fun, and everybody else was extremely uncomfortable with what we were doing, and it was really hilarious. Yeah. And so I guess you know we want to do this because I think it's important you know to have a conversation. And that's kind of where you know my blog is you know was stemmed was seeing everything that's posted and me going, am I the only one that's seeing this? Like people are posting things. That they've done no, they've not looked into at all, and, and you know, I just think it's important to bring back. You know, that's why, you know, if you're familiar with the phrase intellectual dark web, um, I know some people like it, some people don't. But what those people are trying to promote, I think, is something that I can back. You know, conversation and reasoning, and, and bringing back the power of a voice as opposed to violence is, is important. But you know, obviously, I think you know my main goal for this is I just want people to know that anybody can can do what we're doing. We can self-educate and have good conversations. And I know that you're in you know you're in college right now for philosophy, and that stems a lot of what we're doing. But you know, I'm just uh, I have a measly BFA in performing arts, but I think that I still can uh, you know have a say in this conversation. I want people to think that they can have a say too. Yeah, and you know that's a you know a great segue into just 
you know, this isn't just a conversation between us. We're sitting here, we're talking, we're, you know, we will probably have a tendency to go off the rails. But, oh, I see what you did But there. part of uh, coming back on track here is you guys, right? We want your feedback. And, you know, don't be shy. You know, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Modern Overman. Josh is at... Oh, I don't remember. Like, S-Simp, whatever. You're S-S-M-23. Yeah, S-S-M-23 or whatever. You know, honestly, when I create, you know, I was new to Twitter. Twitter's like the beast of thing. But you can find me, you know, I have a Facebook page. Um, I have a website, www.theonlyone.cf. I know it's a .cf, not a .com, but hey, you know, we are we all start somewhere. So yeah. uh, it, it's going to be good. I think it's uh, been giving good responses so far, and it's uh, good, I think. And I love where we can get this to go. I think at some point, maybe in future episodes, we might do like a poll system to where, you know, Ian and I will have a debate episode, and we're going to ask you guys to kind of poll who they think won that debate. Um, that might be a cool thing that we're we're doing. So yeah. this is kind of on the ground floor. Or to just pick the topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool too. You know, uh, pick the topics. But as for now, um, I think that's a good segue into kind of what we want to do uh, to start. So I think we are going to talk about the piece that uh, to start that I published yesterday. Um, it's already gotten some good controversy. Facebook pulled it. Uh, they, I don't know. They, I guess I violated some sort of code of conduct. I'm not sure if somebody thought it was spam, but. I guess uh, I can understand why talking okay. about politics would be kind of sensitive sensitive to them at this current moment because uh, you know a little bit of scrutiny. So no hard feelings there, but it is it is interesting. Yeah, you know. So I guess we can just get into it. Uh, you know, your uh, piece. Uh, what is it? The problem of politics, right? Is problem of politics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. I think what's interesting about it is that you know, it's stemming from this idea. You know, kind of why we're having this conversation is that. Everything that we do now is political, you know, unless you live out in the boonies, you know, it, there's something about your life has to do with politics. It affects everybody. Sure. And the problem arises is in our very structure of the, the democracy that we live in, right, is that it is kind of not what we set it up to be anymore. Right. You know, and I, th- I think that's kind of what you're getting at is that we have a system where – it is supposed to be, and, and I agree, is that it is supposed to be representative of everybody's ideas. You know, we come together as a people, you know, as a majority, maybe, you know, maybe that's problematic. But we come together and we elect representatives to, to represent our best interests. And what we find is that they are often instead catering to the voters, but they are c- catering to you know, oligarchs, right? And people who have the money. And right, but even to put a pen in here real quick, if I can make a yeah. comment, you can say that. You know, the idea that, you know, a majority might be a problem, right? Yeah. I think that is that is a that is an understanding of our current system. I think that if you really and the, again what I argue is that the theory of democracy states that you shouldn't have to worry about the majority if everybody's educated on the ideas that they're voting on. If we valued making sure that everybody was set up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to know that voting is important or they were set up to be taught critical thinking and reasoning and and, uh, controlling emotions and these different things to combat against bad ideas. Um, And also, too, majority wouldn't be a problem if we didn't have political parties. Um, There would be no majority or minority. It would just be a collective group of people. Um, You know, I understand that there's different levels. I know that that's more complex. There's state levels and county levels. And, you know, but as far as America goes... If everybody, you know, if it was just a system of voting on how we should be governed, you know, and everybody theoretically had a, 
strong understanding and they were taught from early on the importance of voting. Because I talk about my, my high school, um, I learned about the three branches of government and what they did, and that's it. I was yeah. never told yeah. that people have the power through vote. I was never told to, 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 you know, I was never jazzed about, you know, living in a system where I got to vote. You know what I mean? Nobody ever said anything. Yeah. And, and so that's why I think that that majority thing where if you actually think about the theory of how democracy is supposed to work, I think that I argue, though, that that is an underlying principle that needs to be um, set is that the fact that even though we have everybody gets a vote, it's implied that they should at least know or be educated on what they're voting on and how to vote on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I it's, it's hard to disagree with that. Um, I think that uh, what's important, though, to point out, though, is that when you know let, let let let's let's pretend that we live in a world where everybody is as educated as they can be sure. right ideas don't grow in a vacuum i think you would agree right. right and so when people come together on good ideas and on bad ideas you know is what they do is that they find common ground right now i agree that our two party system right here is fucking terrible you know <laughs> uh you know uh i think that there are many parties like the libertarian party the green party the I mean, I you know there are there are so there are constitution party you know it's there's 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 a lot out there that don't see you know yeah I believe um, there's actually a, a pirate party <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie yeah, I heard that really? I, I, yeah, yeah I heard that on a different podcast yeah. they said it's like real it's like some sort of pirate political party um, I mean I don't really know I think I mean, plunder they, for president are I'm they cool. West Indian do they like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. no I'm I'm cool with bringing yeah, back the yeah. old ship where it's you know the, you know if I can if I can kill you then your stuff is mine you know that's no I'm just right yeah stuff. I know that's my libertarian <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. Um, but, but what's the point though because if you you know my question is all these parties that's a great point that you bring that up and it's sad because you never see we'll never see so far any of those parties ever actually hold any seats or gain any traction. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's folly, right, to to kind of look at, you know, like the UK is a great example. Like, the, they have so many different political parties over there, and almost all of them have some kind of representation in parliament. You know, it's a bit of a, of a, of a show sure. that they put on, you know, not dissimilar to, to us. But <laughs> it's still, you know, for the most part, they, they have a kind of, they they feel representative. They they try to get they do now with Brexit. I mean that's that's a whole other issue that we can. <laughs> yeah, I love. I think what what is it? Johan said on on Sam's podcast when he's like, I love that. I can't. I'm going to quote him. Really fucked up here, but I think he said sixty percent of whatever we buy goods and transfer, we told him to fuck off. Uh, I just think that's a really uh, yeah. really simple and funny way to describe you know Brexit in a whole. So. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just think you know the the broader the broader problem is that. Even if we live in a world where we're all educated and there are lots of good ideas out there, you know, we could, I mean, we could hypothesize a world where there are no bad ideas, you know, or, or an American where there are no bad ideas, which is um, hard to posit. But well, you can't have even, a without a yang. But it's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, going to be, there's going to be pros and cons to everything you yeah. do. It's going to be, you know. But I think that um, regardless of, of people's education, we're still, I think there's something about human nature uh, and I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna say that I'm an essentialist here, but there's something about human nature that we we have a tendency to form tribes, right? And now we could compare and contrast that to our current political you know party system, right? Is that people? I mean, and this you know this can speak to the 
polarizing issues in the in the um, in the U.S. today. But people are only you know are either in one camp or this camp, and the people in the middle kind of get washed away. Sure. I think even when you have um, uh, people who are broadly more educated, they will still fall into um, camps now. The benefit being there is that people are more educated, right? And so there's, there will probably be a greater variety of ideas sure, right? rather sure. than things being um, propped up in Democrat or Republican. Or, or even, right, if there, you know. even if there's bad ideas like versus good ideas, just having a structure where we can easily debate those ideas yeah, and in a form that is productive and not just, you don't believe what I believe, so go fuck yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that yeah, yeah. tends to be yeah. the, the system here. But I think too, like... You're right, but you know, if, as far as tribalism goes, theoretically, you know, do a thought experiment where our politics didn't have parties, right? We people still succeed in their tribalistic needs when it comes to you know, if they have a close family, they're going to feel that connection with the tribalism of their family. Some people don't have that connection. Some people go sports. Mm-hmm. You know, sports is a huge you know support system. A tribalism thing for your sports teams. You can do religion. Um, you could say that if you know your community is a big you know pitch for religion, where you can have a nice community. So I feel that the reason we are you know, it's okay. For example, what would happen is right now we have camps to go to in the political system. Yeah. You have the Democratic camp. You have the Republican camp. You know, of course, like you said, there's a bunch of little parties, but we'll focus on the two main that that hold power in our mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. If you got rid of those camps, like, you know, do you think by human nature people are going to continue to create camps? Or, like, again, this is why I think it's a cultural thing. If we culturally understand that as far as government's concerned, that's just an area that shouldn't have camps. And, like, if we culturally understood that, if that was kind of like the platform for that, do you think that camps would still be made? Or do you think that people would find this whole need of of a community elsewhere and be okay with that to be able to educate and vote on ideas of how to I mean, that's a good question. You know, I think that, you know, first of all, you know, we can look at, okay, let's take the Republican Party for, for, uh, for a second. You know, even though they are, you know, they hold most of the majority of power except um, uh, the Senate right now, right? They, they didn't win the Senate. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, anyway. Uh, no, they're not. They did not yeah, win the Senate. Um, uh, even though they they hold majority power, uh, you know there is still division in the Republican Party. Not everybody supports what Trump is doing. You know uh, there are great uh, people out there like uh, David Frum or Tom yeah. Nichols, you know who have been lifelong Republicans. Or uh, Andrew Sullivan is another great case. You know he's been a lifelong conservative uh, from the UK. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he thinks you know what Trump is doing is important. Mainly, you know, I don't know. Like, I guess you can't out somebody who's already outed. But you know, as a as a Sure. <laughs> you know, as a as a gay conservative that that Andrew Sullivan is, you know, part of what that means to him is almost in stark contrast to what the rhetoric like Donald it's Trump. It's fascinating. And, it's and oxymoronic for sure. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Um, well, but so I so I think right there, you know, like there's already division in the Republic, in the Republican Party. You know, there's of course division in the Democratic Party, and so I think. That right there shows you that there's already there's already the the ability to to segregate groups even further. Now, I think there are some problems in in segregating and and categorizing people into groups. I think, and we can get down to that in a later pop later podcast. Um, but uh, but then to take your then to further in your question about you know actually if we didn't have any po- political parties. In the communities that people would find themselves in, like sure. ch- like church or temple or or your local mosque, you know whatever that is. If if you are a religious person, 
and you find great community in that. Yeah, like, of course, people are going to go to those centers. They're going to want, you know, if they're political in nature, which I think most of us, I think most of us are. Um, is, and you're going to you're going to vote on issues that that affect, you know, that affect those values, right, that you find, you know, in your church um, or in your synagogue. Um, and. You know, we could look at other places, you know, like we could have uh, people that are in staunch favor of um, uh, helping better the climate, right? Coming together, you know, whether it's scientists or um, entrepreneurs or just the regular polis coming together and, and voting on that kind of issue. You know, that's there's the term throws around single issue voters, right? You know, right, right, right. You know, only care about like one thing. Now, of course... I don't think those people really only care about one thing, you know, like whether it's abortion or um, climate or. I but they know, care about um, that one thing enough to vote for yeah, that person, yeah, yeah. Uh, or say, you know, yeah. to, you know, whatever. That that issue is their strong point issue, and somebody campaigns on that issue, yeah. they're going to vote, you know, or they see that's kind of what it means. It's like trying to pull that mm-hmm. voter, yeah. And so, and so, I I grant you that um, that people, you know. If there were no political parties, if we lived in that world, people would find community in just like they do now, right? right. In, in certain issues or in certain um, activities. Um, but I do think that I don't know, and maybe it's just because it's all I know, right? The yeah, in in, in organizing into political parties, but it, I find it hard to think that people wouldn't organize in larger political movements, right? In trying to uh, not like rule over others you know but you know that's that's a poor that's a poor way to frame it but at least having some type of administration in the government right and trying to come together like okay we think maybe this is how um we could run the the country or um or the state you know i mean and we could divide that further into you know different parts of the government whether local state or federal um but yeah, I don't know. I, I find I find it hard that that people wouldn't organize that way, especially if the vi- the issues that they're concerned with are as strong as they they may claim. Right. But I just think that the I guess the reason my backing behind that. And again, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert and I know exactly how to destroy the political parties. But <laughs> yeah. if you if you take a look at you know the you know Democrats and Republicans and and all this, you know what happens is is that. You know, these elections have turned into competition for beating one another. And I feel like, yeah. you know, they they say that they care, you know, but when you really digest all of it, all of what I've digested, like, again, I make a quote in my piece where I feel like the midterms should have, uh, it's a, I should feel like I should have paid for pay-per-view and it was going to be on ESPN because uh, I feel it was like a UFC fight between Republicans and Democrats and it was going to be hosted by Joe Rogan is the yeah. joke I'd made yeah. because... You know, you you see what hap- what's happening is, in, and you look at the the strategies that they're taking, and and it's really competition. And I think you know, for me personally, competition should not be in politics. It shouldn't. Um, you know, I think I make this comment where uh, winning should be a byproduct of your ideas. It shouldn't be the goal. Like I don't think that the goal should be to win because the goal is to, to provide the best situation for American citizens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if your plan has that, then you need to trust that your ideas will speak to enough. So I'm cool with, you know, you know, working towards promoting ideas and, and working towards trying to structure to get people to understand what you're saying. But what's happening is, is it's turning into like, don't vote for her. Like, you know, cause she does this, you know, it's, it's completely like smear campaigning is just, is, is, is atrocious to me. And it's like, 
and the and the ads are just some of the most ridiculous shit I've ever seen. They're kind of uh, cringy. They're really cringy, <laughs> and you know, and like again, like yeah. the one thing you can make a comment on is I'll say like what happened with you know Heidi Heitkamp and and North Dakota, I believe, is you know listening to the New, uh, the New York Times, the Daily, that you know they talked about she was campaigning on you know uh, agriculture and how the trade uh, Trump's trade tariffs are going to affect their economy and she was going to fight you know to get things rolling from there and then the Kavanaugh hearing happened and you know basically it became she's a, you know she's basically a democrat trying to fight a red state so obviously there's certain issues that she said I'm not going to touch and that was one that she tried to not touch and then finally it came down to though did you did you support him or did you not and you know and then her ideas completely went out the window mm-hmm. and all that mattered was did you vote? Did you did you vote to confirm Kavanaugh or not? And if you did or didn't, that tells us either you're with us or, or you're against us. us. Yeah. yeah. No, I think. Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a great example. Uh, be, yeah, I just you know I worry you know because not that I not that I don't just don't disagree sure. with you uh, or don't agree with you. Um, uh, is that how do we foster a a you know where we are now? Like we are so deep. Yeah, so deep in it, all right. Uh, um, sorry, I'm refraining from using a sexual reference, but it's but it's it's. I don't know if you sorry. made it better or worse by admitting <laughs> that by you were refraining. Like yeah. you're like so deep, and they got quiet, so and you were like, it was gonna that was gonna be a sexual sexual reference. Yeah, I think I, it almost makes it worse. <laughs> you should have just done I know, the I'm reference. Just, I'm just really admitting my guilt. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. If you can't see his face right now, I can tell you that there was there was a lot of guilt in those eyes. That's, yeah, I know. I tried. Yeah, looking. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So I think that we are we're so far past that point, and maybe I'm a pessimist in in this regard. Is that? Oh, you're just now realizing that. Is it? You know what? <laughs> I, it's it's been it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think we're so far past that point that when we, you know, and maybe this comes back to just your, you know. Uh, dissolving of the political parties here um but in the world that we live in now it's hard not to see where that kind of competition you know doesn't go away when you know something heidi heitkamp is that her name right um you know yeah the especially you know i think uh in previous conversations that we've had off mic and and about your piece and how we no longer vote on local or state issues. Like a lot of things are are national for everybody. So yes. like the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, whichever, you know, uh, position you take and if you support his nomination or not, um, of course it doesn't really matter now because he's on the Supreme Court. Uh, there's nothing we can do about it unless he dies or something. Uh, or he retires. Um yeah, I'm glad you threw that in there. It's like you're gonna, it's just, you're, we're morbid, you know. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I know. No, it's fine. That's the same. I, I have a very low uh, EQ. Right That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that was a joke, and I I just think that you're right. Is that something like the Kavanaugh hearings, regardless of your positions, are so? I mean, it was it was incredibly polarizing just because of the you know his, the accusations against him. Right. Right. Um, it's and, and how Republicans and Democrats decide that they fell on. But that everybody, almost everybody in America who had some kind of political, uh, you know, political bone in their body was talking about this. I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, it was all across. Uh, I go to the University of Oregon uh, just 
we're in Oregon. I don't know if that's necessary for the podcast to know, but maybe it gives a sense of localization. I, what, what? I don't. I don't know. But yeah, I, let's just tell everybody where we are. Yeah. So, so my address. Yeah. Is, in case you hate our ideas, yeah, here's our addresses, uh, and you can come and uh, Josh's you know. social security number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you no, can so, come and protest at our doors. We yeah. would love it. We'd love yeah, that. Yeah, uh, that's great. But I, I, I'm studying uh, philosophy at the University of Oregon here in Eugene, and. The, I mean, the Kavanaugh thing was everywhere. I mean, right. we were talking about it almost every day. It it came up in some way or another. Um, and, the, you know, the very conversation or uh, playful debate that we were, that Josh was referring to earlier, um, when I was over uh, at um, at his place uh, with a gathering of, of other man dude bros, uh, yeah, it was a it was bro yeah, fest. It yeah, was, it was an Oscar Mayer okay. Wiener convention. Yeah, it's like, okay. I mean, it was a great time, right? <laughs> yeah, um, games you know, and the, you know, and, we, and were, we were bourbon. We were talking uh, very explicitly about the Kavanaugh debate, um, and uh, specifically uh, the um, website uh, or platform Colette. Uh, they had an article um, about the Kavanaugh hearings, and I don't recall everything in the article, but I do remember that it was. Almost in defense of Kavanaugh, not necessarily um, against his accusations, but it was kind of defending his individuality and the way that the Democrats were kind of um, trying to um, view him as some kind of martyr. But the, the but the the point of our disagreement uh, doesn't really matter. But the point is that we were talking about it, and everybody had some kind of um, some kind of opinion about it. It was so national. Right, and it'd be interesting too because I think you know my opinion you know had nothing to do with whether he did it or not. It was just the idea of viewing it as a trial versus viewing it as a job interview. And I feel like you know even again that was polarized. Republicans wanted mm-hmm. to view it as a trial. Democrats wanted to view it as a job interview. And really, what what it did for me is that it was a clear indication that we are no longer we no longer. It was just like a how do I phrase this right? It was evidence to me. That we have become so polarized that ideas no longer matter. You know, that the Kavanaugh yeah. hearing was was big enough to where it became, did you confirm him or not? And if you didn't confirm him, you are a stupid Democrat. And if you did confirm him, you're an awesome Republican. If you're like that or vice versa, flip that. Mm-hmm. If you did vote for him, you're a dumb Republican. And if you didn't, you're an awesome Democrat. And nobody was focusing on the ideas of the individuals that were being presented. It was now this happened and then, you know, who voted for what? And I'm going to attack you for that instead of, you know, understanding you know, either why or what or how or, you know, like sympathizing with certain things. You know, I think I'm exactly sure what Heidi Heidkamp said, but when she said she voted no, she gave a very particular reason as to why. And I think sure. that, you know, if you still appreciate her ideas and you can take what she says and go, you know what, I would have voted for him, but... I can understand and her position why she wouldn't, um, but I still like what she's doing with the trade ideas, and I like you know what she's doing for North Dakota, and uh, you know, or even on a federal level, what she wants to do. Yeah. Um, so when you're judging your vote of some person based on this thing that doesn't even matter with what their either local or actual politics really means, because they they have to vote. You know what I mean? This is not something that she can be like, I'm just going to opt out to to vote. I'm just not going to do it. Like, no, no, no. Like, they all had to vote whether to put this guy in or not. And um, they're put in those stressful situations. And, you know, you can't, I guess you can't appease everybody. And it's just yeah. more 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 sympathy in the world, I guess, is what I, um, I was advocating, advocating for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think um, uh, 
You're right. You know, because obviously, you know, as you as you said, I mean, it kind of devolved into a not a pissing match, but a kind of like, well, you're gonna vote for him or what? You know, are you gonna you know approve him or what? And she's like, that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm interested about the issues and to the public, you know, to the voters. It's like, no, this is this matters to us. You know, at a national level, like in North Dakota, of all places. Right. And I'm not going to imply yeah, that, like, yeah. because she denied Kavanaugh, that's why she lost. You know, I'm not going to say that. I mean, no, but it's probably highly correlated. What I'm saying, yeah, I, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not saying that that is the direct, you know, reasoning, but you, it's really difficult to not, you know, see the the evidence the that, that, yeah, the connection there, the evidence that that definitely looked like it played a role yeah. um, especially because she was ahead in the polls until that kind of happened and when she gave her stance all of a sudden that shifted and you know coincidence maybe who knows mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but it's still just for me it's just that craziness of like wow you know nobody it's all about wanting to win um, and I just think that yeah. that's you know they're doing whatever they can I can't remember her name but I she that famous moment she's like you know I guess she was I can't remember where it was but they were debating and I guess the the, the Republican opponent had you know, you vote if you vote her, you're voting Nancy Pelosi. You vote her, it's Nancy Pelosi. You vote her, it's Nancy Pelosi. And she finally, she had said, you know, something. I think she was, uh, I can't remember which, but she had said, what like, state was it in? I don't even know. She was on. I was listening uh, to the podcast. Um, what was I listening to? Uh, the day or the uh, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah, mm-hmm. and she was on there. So I looked her up. Is it it's Alexandria like, Casio? No, it's not. Oh, it's okay. not Cortez. It's it's another one. She's like new. She's a freshman in the uh, in the Senate. I mean, I'll find out where, what she is. Sure. But yeah. the the point that I'm making somebody is somebody knows. Please write into us. Oh my god, yeah. But not. I mean, her name is not important. What's important is that her opponent, instead of pitching his ideas, was just saying that if you vote for her, you vote for Nancy Pelosi. So he was trying to use the hate of Nancy Pelosi on the other side to to get votes mm-hmm. instead of arguing ideas. And you'll know what I'm talking about because she famously went like, "I'm not." Nancy Pelosi, I'm so and so, and you know that kind of picked up traction. I think that's interesting. You know, look look at what he was doing. Like, was he, you know, it wasn't a battle of ideas. It was don't vote for this person because they're Democrat. Yeah, uh, which yeah, you know, I think that's you know this is kind of a a, a shameless uh, uh, segue into speaking about the piece that I'm writing. Is that <laughs> um, you know what he's doing? You know, he's he's trying to be uh, he's attempting to be an effective rhetorician right for his side you know in that this is a kind of you know it's 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 devolved and it has been it has been for a long time it is a game right yeah you know, with and and winning means you know you have control over you know people's you over their representation right and uh part of the piece i'm writing about is um the kind of hyperbole that we that we live in uh, and viewing things as only black and white. And I think that is fueling polarization. Um, you know, politicians and political pundits and, or commentators, you know, everybody who's involved in politics, um, at least on a professional level, they, they do this, right? They, you know, like, you know, the example that you were giving, you know, whose name you're blanking on. I mean, what he's doing in calling out uh, this potential democratic, rep- you know, uh, representative or, or senator is that like look she everything that she is about means that you su- that she supports Nancy Pelosi if he's speaking to his base and who they all dislike you know if they all dislike Nancy Pelosi that's incredibly effective right and saying like oh my god of course everything that sh- that she does is a vote for all the people that you hate 
Right. I doubt that he believes that. Right. You know, he's saying that to 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 round up his base, right? Mm-hmm. And the kind of problems that I see about that is that his voters don't really they can't tell the difference. Right. You know, when somebody is being hyperbolic versus truthful. Now I think it is a problem to say that we should go out there, you know, I mean, you know, especially when it comes to intellectual elites, going out there and saying that they're voting against their own interests. I think that there's a lot of truth to that claim, but, you know, unless you're really in the in their shoes, I don't think you can truly speak for them. Um, but I do think that it is a problem in that we should be giving them uh, a clearer understanding of the issues. And so when politicians go out there and are incredibly hyperbolic about issues, you know, like abortion is an, is an amazing uh, controversial example, right? You know, conservatives and Republicans alike will go out there and say that if you are pro-abortion, then you are pro-murder for babies, right? right. Like, that's ridiculous. Yes. You know, like, I mean, yeah, depending on the term that you have an abortion, like, there is more or less of a person inside of a woman's body. And I'm not fully read on the subject of, uh, you know, human gestation, uh, but and a fetus is not a person. A fetus doesn't have certain uh, sensitivity to um, stimulus and experience, right, or pain. I feel like you're, you know, you're entering general. a dangerous. I know, I really am. You're entering a dangerous. And so, uh, I mean, dangerous I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm I'm speaking somewhat you know, um, uh, speculative, you know, here, but like, these are understood issues by, you know, in, in science. Right. And so when you go out and say, you know, it's funny, you know, people go out and say murder is wrong. Right. Well, yeah, of course, that's what the definition of murder is. Right. It's like when you are killing another human being unjustly. And I'm not to say that a fetus cannot potentially be a person because obviously they can, but they're not really a person. They don't have rights. They don't have the same protections that we give to other people. Now, of course, the care that a mother has for their unborn child, I mean, can't be discounted here. But to say that you're murdering a baby, it's, it's kind of false. Right, but right? I think, but, but yeah. at the same time, though, you have to look at what you're saying. You were saying that... They don't have rights. And I think people that are anti-abortion mm-hmm. are trying to advocate to get them rights. And like a fetus's rights. And, yeah. so, and so I'm thinking that that argument, tackling it that way, is going to piss more people off than it's actually going to help anything. And again, this is where, you know, again, not to pitch you know, cultural issues here, but as a culture, if you kind of view abortion in the sense of like, again, it's all about the you know, rhetoric that's being said. I don't think it should be pro-life or pro-choice. You know what I mean? Those are weird Kind of said because even oh yeah I think yeah I I just think it's just like for my personal opinion I think it's funny because you know here we are two men trying to talk about abortion and I think this hilarious but um, but you know putting myself in shoes trying to sympathize and again I'm not going to say that I can fully understand what it's like to to be somebody that won't have that but yeah but you know what though let me let me not to fully stop you in your tracks though but like I see that tactic right there that you're doing you're kind of virtue signaling which is perfectly fine and honest but. 
that people use that to such an extreme to where they they can't even talk about an issue. No, and, you're fine, and, and you're and you're totally right in saying that. Like, hey, we can talk. Like, we can understand. We can sympathize here. These issues. And we can have a somewhat nuanced conversation about that. So but I just a, wanted to bring that in there. Sure. And I want you to know that like, even if I'm virtue signaling, I'm just – what I'm doing is I'm just stating something that I feel that, you know, right now when you do – when you are in the – you have to play the game the way that it's laid out currently, unfortunately. You know, so I'm playing that game. I want people to just understand that I'm acknowledging that I can have opinions on it. But I'm acknowledging that my opinion is from a completely sympathetic way, as in there, there won't be empathy because I won't ever know what it's like to experience personally. So I'm just acknowledging that. But to take that a step further, <clears throat> to get to my actual point. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, as, as, Before I really interrupted you. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's what you know, the conversation is. But my point is, is that if you look at it from a cultural standpoint of how it's viewed culturally, you can understand that people that are pro-choice are not, you know, pro-abortion. They're not for abortions. They are just saying that that is something that's personal to their bodies and that should be up to them. That should be their choice whether or not they're allowed yeah. to do that. So it's like, oh, well, I saw this really funny post. It said, you know, uh, it was about gun control and it was like somebody posted like, how dare you try to, um, how dare you try to put control on guns when you know nothing about them, you know nothing about you know, how they operate. And this one woman posted, really, how dare you try to control my body when a man has never found my, my clitoris uh, or something like that. Just <laughs> made, a, made, a, yeah. made a comment about how, you know, we don't know how to navigate a vagina, but, uh, you know, but we still want to dictate that as opposed to people that advocate right. for gun control. Right. So yeah. it's a very interesting point, I think, and, and, it, and it brings that up too. And uh, another point that a lot of people make that I, that I sympathize with is, is once that baby is born, there is, you know, the people that are advocating for pro-life are, are not, actually giving a shit about that baby once it's born. Um, and what I mean by that is, is you know, you really look, again, reading Robert Swatsky's behavior, his book, uh, and you really learn how children are severely affected mentally by how their parents raise them. Um, and if their parents are, you know, ignorant and they don't know what they're doing and they don't understand the negative implications that neglect on a child is or, or all the terrible things that children go through. Mm -hmm. As somebody that's close to me, has a lot of problems directly correlated with how she was raised. And I just think that parents are having children and these children are growing up and being terrible. And so having that choice, you know, way early on to decide if you want to bring a child, not to mention the financial implications of having a child. Mm -hmm. um, it's extremely expensive. You know, you have, you know, how old's your son now? I forget. Uh, it's 14 months. 14 months. Okay. So you can, you know, understand that being a parent, it's not, it's not, it's not inexpensive. To have a child. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you know, diapers and yeah. formulas. You know, I'm an uncle. I don't have a kid myself. But like, you know, even going to the store, I'm like, it's $35 for a pack of diapers? Like, that's ridiculous. I know, it's absurd. Um, yeah, or even formula <laughs> or things like that. Or yeah. like, you know, boogie wipes. I learned what the hell boogie wipes are. I guess they're like particular wipes for, for nose. I don't really know. The, 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 are they, what can, okay, I have to ask you about this because I... <laughs> my mom sent me to the store. She sent me to the store to grab boogie wipes. And, you know, again, I, you know, I get in, I get in the store and I'm... I have no idea. I go into the baby aisle and I feel ridiculous because I've never, you know, I don't know anything a lot about having children. So I'm just like seeing all these ridiculous products that they make. And I'm like, this is so weird. What child would use that? It looks bizarre. And then I had to ask the store clerk, hey, do you have boogie wipes? And she's like, yeah, they're right here. And like literally on the package, it says boogie wipes. And they're, I should they're... probably invest in this because this is weird. <laughs> the tactic that I take is my son, he can't stand... 
the little turkey basers, you know, that you get into like clean out the yeah. snot or whatever. And so, uh, and I we have like diaper wipes that I try and clean them out, uh, but those don't work either. So usually it devolves into me setting him on my lap, you know, with his head. Uh, uh, with his head up and me just trying to get the boogers out of his nose with my fingers and he hates it so I should probably invest yeah that sounds uh, you probably yeah I'm boogie wipes yeah. look it up they're smaller they're, <laughs> yeah that's uh, yeah. yeah parenting 101 right there just yeah, doing that yeah. I mean what if the, you know, that whole turkey baster system what was that how funny would that be if that's like how we do it as adults like oh god I got a stuffy nose just take out the turkey baster <laughs> what's that turkey baster oh it's my snot collector yes yeah, yeah it's just like you have to clean it out yeah. every five yeah, yeah, hours yeah. you know and uh, here we go here we go already off the rails this is hilarious okay yeah let's get, let's let's get, get back is this, let's is get back this, on topic yeah is this that was uh, our rant for uh, better education when it comes to parenting yeah I love uh, that we, we I love how we go straight from talking about abortion right into what it's like to being a parent and an uncle <laughs> I just <laughs> but I mean it's yeah. important though because I just think that like it's just acknowledging that you know, pro-life, if you're going to classify pro-life, you should be pro-all life. And that's including, like, the life of the people that would have those children and the life of that children yeah. being born. I would just say, you know, I mean, these are, those are, that's great points. I do think that, one, like, whose, whose role is it? is it? Is it all of us collectively together, you know, role to step in when parents are are not abusing their kids but but not doing the best that they can like is it is it really up to the, is it really up to us or should we just let the parent now of course like when there are obvious abuses towards children you know somebody should step in right i don't know if it's myself or you know uh you know my wife and i if we see somebody abusing their kid i don't know if if it's our place to step in or not but maybe it it's it certainly should be somebody's but what do, I mean, what do we do? Like, I mean, this comes back to, you know, our, um, you know, our point about education, right? Is that we need to be educating these parents, what, you know, because having a kid is a burden, you know, in, in the definitional <laughs> sense, right? Like, I love when your son's going to be old enough to go back and listen to this podcast. He's going to, he's going to be like, what a fucking <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Like, my dad's literally like, yeah, you know, kids, they're burdens. They're yeah. uh, extreme burdens. They are terrible, terrible burdens. <laughs> you know, your uh, son's going to realize that you do. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, childbirth and having a kid, uh, Nietzsche, you know, the philosopher, the German philosopher from the 1800s, uh, late 1800s, he said that all, um, all childbirth, uh, uh, birds are a monstrosity and when you are there in the delivery room it's it's truly self-evident and yeah it probably looks like a scene from the alien so except coming out of the chest it just <laughs> yeah. comes out of a little bit lower part right, of the body yeah, yeah. um but no no i think you i guess the to answer your question um it's kind of actually interesting because i have conflicting ideas that mm-hmm. i don't know how to bridge the gap in because one idea that i have is i obviously agree that you know nobody should have the right to dictate if people are should have kids or not so i I agree that you know if somebody wants to it should be their right to want to have children if they want to have children but that's why it conflicts my actual idea which i think having children should be done like driving a vehicle and let me explain i think that oh we're getting into big government territory i know we are yeah i know we are but let me explain so you know we understand that vehicles are dangerous we understand that they are you know you have to learn how to properly operate them and and things like that so we have to require a certain age limit for that to be allowed and then after that you do um, you know you learn through a, a learner's permit where you can drive with your parents and learn and then you take a written exam 
and you take a physical exam. Um, and then you get basically your license that says, hey, I can operate and, and work a vehicle. So I'm thinking that, you know, as far as parents go, it's, it's, it's scary to me how many people have children and don't ever think about the choices that they make and how that, that, that could affect their child. You know, you don't ever think that, oh, me doing this, that's fine. That I did, you know, it happened to me when I was a kid, so I'm fine. But I think that's like, that's like naive realism where, yeah. you know, I'm just taking my perspective and assuming that that's how everybody else is going to handle it. So I think that people need to be educated when they have kids. And so just a system of, of you know, a certification that, that shows that you've went through this education and you know, you know, the way that your child will be affected. Yeah. Um, so they can have some sort of, oh, hey, look, that's my parent's license. You know, I know it sounds kind of ridiculous, but... Well, yeah, no, the, I, I, it's... So, I mean, I, I joke it in saying that, you know, that's, that's, that's just another place where big government can come in and, you know, dictate how people should run their lives. But I, I think what you're saying is really reasonable. Uh, I am curious in how you think uh, a system like that could be implemented. Do you think it would be just like a public service? You know, you either... It would either be free or cost very little money to go in, take some parenting classes, and get a certification. And when you do that, then you kind of can present that to the state. Be like, hey, look, we're totally on board with having a kid, right? You know, like we're totally fine on this. Um, is that something that sounds reasonable? Yeah, to you? I think I think more of what I would kind of say is it, it would be – so maybe, maybe it would be, you know, more expensive – you know, if for people that that are thinking about having children that would like the certification, I think that if you put benefits towards the certification, where you get better tax benefits if you're certified, um, or you know, or if you get some sort of assistance, or if you provide some sort of <clears throat> reward system for wanting to be certified, that would encourage yeah. and pulse people to do it. Secondly, um, I think that you know maybe it would be a, uh, you would pay for it if you were thinking about wanting that certification for that, but it should either be free. Uh, through tax dollars or cheaper, affordable, uh-huh. um, if you're already pregnant. So let's say that you're pregnant oh, okay. yeah. and you find out that you're pregnant um, because this is the problem. I don't think it should be mandated or, or because you can't yeah. control, you know, I'm like, it's going to turn into this weird thing. But <laughs> if it's just, if, if parenting classes were more openly available mm-hmm. um, for a variety of, of people, whatever your economic status is, yeah. if you have access to it, that's what I mean. It's like having more available options for education of how to be a parent and then possibly providing tax incentives or other incentives for doing that certification and then making it, you know, like, for example, like setting it up with the medical system where like if you go to see your doctor, you find out that you're pregnant, you know, that can be an option that is presented to you uh, either, you know, covered through your insurance. Yeah, um, yeah. But then we'll get on that topic because a lot of people don't have insurance. That'd be be interesting. Right. So just more of it. I don't think it should be mandated, (laughs) but you're right. It should just be readily available um, because, you know, of course, at some point I want a family. And I was just the more research that I've done, you know, on how children are affected. Yeah. Because I've just been looking up different, you know, mental illness has been kind of surrounding me lately with uh, different people in my life that I care about. So I've just been kind of looking into more of, of the science behind why this happens. And yeah. it is staggering uh, how the correlation between how you're raised is, uh, is directly linked to, to mental illness. So yeah, that's... Yeah. Well, you know, to take this, <clears throat> to kind of take this a, a step further here, and obviously if you were to say that to be, you know, to have to be certified to be a parent would be mandatory, that, that would be a different conversation. It would be a different conversation, um, yeah. But to, but to have that as optional, I think, you know, first of all, I think that's really reasonable. Um, yeah. But to, to take this, you know, in another logical step here, you know, another part of your piece was about um, 
voter ID laws and voter suppression. Yes. Um, I will say that in your piece, um, you guys listening should go out and read it at theonlyone.cf. Oh, um, uh, thank you. Uh, www. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they uh, again with my thing. You have to put that. I guess it's weird. So yeah, still I newbies. Or I, so. You, you know, I think I think most people get the you know that the www is implied, but it's probably good to say it because I mean, yeah, because I do the same thing. If I type in my website at modernoverman.com, if you don't put that www, then it takes you to somewhere weird. Yeah, it takes you weird. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know where my. I know it doesn't work. I don't know yeah. where it takes you. I'm just yeah. like you know, it's like some you know, it's uh, maybe some Silence of the Lamb guy. Like I'm the only one. Like maybe that's where mine takes you. Yeah, when you his don't, penis when you don't tucked in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although I guess we shouldn't do that because, like you know, people might actually identify with that um, in today's day. Oh my, Lance, oh, you're shit. gonna. I'm being so funny. You're anyway, just, yeah, uh, you got to remember the sense of humor is uh, you know just this is touring down other. Again, shit. low EQ. You know, I really give <laughs> so little shits about people. Um, but I don't know. No. Let's go back to you promoting yes. my blog. Let's yes. go back to that. <laughs> so uh, I know. Yeah, it's great. Great for you. Uh, I think um, in that piece you talk about voice suppression. I I will. Say that um, uh, I can't remember the, the the specific point that you were giving, um, but when you were talking about voter suppression in uh, what is it for Native Americans? Um, yeah, that, I believe that's yeah. North Dakota. I think. Yeah, let me. I have it up right here because I uh, believe Georgia was I talked about was Brian Kemp uh, and the voter suppression or the allegations of, of suppressing voters, uh, fifty three thousand voters. Okay, yeah. So in North Dakota, you're talking about uh, how Native Americans uh, were affected by vote, the voter ID laws there, right? And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they needed to have an address, right? Is that what? Is yeah, that yeah. What so it's um, you know you need to have an address to vote, and I believe that the issue is it's not that they don't have addresses, but I think that the main issue was is on their identification cards, their tribal cards. Um, it says uh, it's a PO, it's a PO box that's listed, uh-huh. um, and that was the main issue because of their cards. They didn't have an address list. And I know that some you can. Uh, I read something on the lines where you can kind of try to work on getting that switched or things of that that nature. I just think that you know. And anyway, my main point was talking about how like a democratic system should never ever work to suppress voters. Like you know that's why I talked about Georgia, their exact match law. Like that's what was being you know that's what he was claiming. Oh, with the signatures? No, exact match law in Georgia states that, like, if you have even the minest, or minest, I'm, yeah, I'm making up words now, I'm, I'm uh, doing what we do, but if you even have, like, the most minimal detail miss, miss up, um, it discredits your application. Yeah. And, and then what they don't do, I guess the, the two implications is <clears throat> it was a highly percentage of African American voters that this happened to. Um, so that's really interesting, uh, but I'm not going to focus on that. I think on a broader term, it's about voters in general. It's all of us. So yeah. when 53,000 gets oppressed because of that, to me, I just don't, you know, the laws should, the laws that on voting should be so sympathetic to making sure that voters get to vote, um, especially in a system that is ran by the governed voting for the, the governing. Yeah. Um, so I guess... You know, not not that I uh, have a problem with your piece, but I think the problem in when talking about voter suppression is typically something that's talked about by the left, right? And I think that voter suppression, just in quotes, is so loosely defined. And so I think to get into specifics here, like with with um, uh, the requiring of an address, right, in uh, in North Dakota from you know with the problems of Native Americans, I think that having to have an address, I think, is reasonable. 
right? And you know, if you if you have to go to the polls now, I think that you know, as a as a sidebar here, the way that other parts of the country ha- run their voting, run their other election, is so bizarre to me. You know, we're here in Oregon and we get our ba- ballots mailed to us, and then we just can mail it in. Like, yeah, we have to have a return address on there, which I think is you know important. And we have to sign it. There's, we don't have to have an ID. Yes, of course, the signature you know, has to match what you're, what, how you signed when you registered uh, to vote. Uh, we have to pay and, for postage, which is pretty silly to me. Yeah, right. That, yeah, we have to pay. Yeah, yeah we have to actually provide our own stamps here in Oregon if you want to mail it in. Yeah, so that's, that's kind true. of that's true. And I was like, you know, fortunately, stamps are pretty cheap. But at the same time, it's like, really, you can't just. Yeah, but we're like the modern day and age where it's like, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, where the hell? Yeah, I guess I got to go to the post office. I, mean, I haven't bought stamps. stamps? Yeah, yeah, I got to buy stamps. I bought a stamp, uh, and you food. know, maybe we can uh, search for a sponsor here and uh, go to stamps.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, electronic stamps. I think you know, I I think that that system and mailing in your ballot, like what. What, how how do other states not have the resource to do this? That that is so beyond me. Like, uh, there's got to be some way where we can get around that because I think that going to a, you know going to somewhere to vote and and punching in your ballot there, like I think that it is reasonable for me to to have an address and have an ID to sh- to prove that you are who you are saying you are. I think that is a reasonable request. However. When we're actually speaking about, you know, quote, voter suppression, like, how are we discounting those people? You know, like, how hard or easy is it to get an ID? You know, how hard is it to get a, you know, first of all, if they're, if these Native American voters only had P.O. boxes, why can't that count? You know, rather than just like a standard address. You sure. Know, because a P.O. box is based, it's the same, you know, it's just as functional as... As uh, as an address, you know, like you can have an address in Colorado and also have another address in uh, in Mexico, but if or not in Mexico, but in New Mexico. And if you're voting in Colorado, you should be using, you know, the address that you have in Colorado. Now, of course, that's weird to think that if you have two separate addresses that you could possibly go vote in other places, you know, that's. I don't know how to work around that. It was on a primary address. You can vote for one state, one, you know. Yeah, one but, camp, yeah. but I mean, if the, again. I'm if, just saying, like, like those, those things, like having an address and having an ID, if you were going somewhere, right, to, to vote, those to me, um, I don't know how they are, aren't reasonable, and maybe, maybe you have a, an argument against it. Sure. But if they are reasonable to have an ID with a valid address, you know, even if it's a P.O. box, how can we make that easier? And... Is there? Do you think that there is evidence of, you know, let's let's just you know like throw our enemy out there as Republicans, you know, for I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat, but if 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 Republicans are doing this or actively trying to suppress voters, how can we make it easier? And is there evidence of them making it harder? Like, sure, that's a <clears throat> sure, sure. So uh, to tackle that a little bit, I'm not, you know. Again, I'm trying to tackle this as 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 the, the idea of voter suppression in a whole in a democratic system, mm-hmm. not narrowing it down to Republicans or Democrats doing it to each other. Right. First of all, so what I I know in my piece that that with the conditions of right to vote, it provides an ample opportunity for that system to be manipulated. Is what I'm what I'm stating. And these were examples of 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 situations that have brought to light of that manipulation. And I even talk about, like, on a federal level, 
you know, all citizens are still governed on a federal level and we're still governed on a state level and we taxpayers, we pay for everybody if you're American citizen. So if you're homeless, right, well, you know, okay, maybe I can maybe sympathize with not having them blocking their state or county vote if they're not contributing to that or if they don't have an address and things like that. But what about a federal vote? Like they're still governed. Like do they still get a say? And so I think that, you know, what would be – and if you have a voter box, if you're going to go and vote – like, especially if you do it in a different system, you know, going back to putting a little flag in the, you know, Oregon system, I can see where, you know, other, other states not liking that because human error and mailing is still around. Packages get lost. Letters get lost. Sure. Things yeah. happen. Yeah. So you can, you have, you know, a system of, of potential, you know, ah, <laughs> crap, the mailman or whatever, if they got hit or, you know, I mean, there's, that, there's, yeah. there's ample opportunity in a mailing system to have problems. So I can understand the idea of wanting to send people to a sender location to vote. Um, it, you know, because to me, they're trying to minimize error sure. in that regard. Yeah. But if if I can go somewhere to vote, why would I need an address if they have a, a voter box if I'm still somebody that's there and doing that? So I think that like maybe a better system, you know, again, I'm just this is just a start conversation of just noticing that it's a problem, noticing that voter suppression should be strongly advocated against. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, look, look at our social security numbers. Okay. That, that holds us, that, that shows our citizenship. Don't look at our social security. No, numbers. Yeah. Don't go out and look yeah. At, yeah. Let me tell you mine. So you yeah. know what it is. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But every person who is born has a birth certificate. We have a social security number. Um, I think that maybe an idea to discuss is what if, what if, what if we're set up to vote at birth? And when you're set up to vote, whatever hospital that you were born in or wherever you get your birth certificate or, you know, your social security number. That links to the county and state, um, and that's where you are. And then you have to adjust that information if you move or things like that. But I think everybody should start yeah. out as registered. That, I mean, that, that seems like – well, how, how, how would that work? If you're registered to vote when you're, when you're born, right, and, and it states that you – that you um, wherever you're born, that's where you're registered, and then you have to change it if you move. Like, what if you are born – in, you know, like I was born in Eugene, right uh, here, and um, now I lived here, for, you know, until I was about two years old, and then we moved. Um, but what if my parents decided, like after we were, you know, after we were born, that you know that next week we were moving? Like that means that, the, like that, I, they would have to deal with me being registered to vote as you know a less than a one year old, and then having to go in somewhere else, you know, to the hospital, you know, wherever it may be. And then change that for somewhere that they don't know where they're moving to, right? Like, See, we don't have to. So first of all, it would be an it would be pre registration, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't like you're like active. Obviously, I think it would be though that you would set up that process and like it would it would activate when you're 18, or it would come you know like like a trust fund or things like that where it, where it go okay, I'm going to set this up, but you're not going to have access to it till you're 65. You know, they already create something in the financial world where it would you can set something up. And not be allowed to access it until you're a certain age. So it'd be kind of that system to where everybody would already be kind of pre-registered. And then once you hit 18, maybe you can make it a government website where you go on a website, you, you know, you fix up the thing and boom, you're done. And that's all that you need is like you need a social security number. You need a county that you're in and the thing. You can only vote on one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can only vote in one thing. So for me, it's like this, this idea of, you know. Voter fraud, I can sympathize with, you know, and categorizing people in, in counties and, and states and addresses are a great way to do that. I can sympathize with that. But like, a, I think there could be a better system in place that would just, you know, just reduce the amount of voter fraud. And I think going off of a social security number and a birth certificate, everybody has those. And that would get rid Not of everybody. 
Not everybody has those. Right, but the people that do have them are, you know, would be American citizens. They would be classified as that. I think that's a standpoint. I think nobody would disagree with me that if you don't have a social security number, you know, that doesn't classify you as a citizen of this, of this country. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether you're here or whatever, but that's why any, any benefits, any government stuff, like, you can't use any government programs without a social security number. Like, you need that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things that we do, you need you know, a social security number. And I think that that's just like kind of our identity. So if you want to participate in voting, you got to get one. And, you know, you're right. Some people don't. But majority of us that are born here that are citizens, like, would have one. Um, right. Well, and, you know, maybe just, uh, you know, uh, kind of following that line of logic there is that, you know, when people uh, claim voter suppression in, in certain states, it seems to be in southern states, you know, which seem to be the most effect, uh, affected. Um you know whether it's uh, African American communities or um, or Hispanic communities or others. You know, you know, part of their deal is, is like, hey, we can't get an ID. You know, go out and do this. Well, that to me looks at a problem that um, we need to make it easier for them to get IDs. If people don't have social security numbers or social security cards, then we ha- then we also have to address the the problems of of getting a social security card. If you are because they're okay. So when my son was born, we had to. Uh, there was paperwork that we had to fill out for to get his uh, birth certificate and to get his social security card. Right? If we didn't do that within, I can't remember how how long it was. I think it was within ninety days. Um, it could have been less than that. I, I can't remember. But uh, if if we didn't do it within that a lot of time, then he wasn't issued one. Right? He wasn't issued a uh, a birth certificate or a social security number. And if we waited past that, then there is a crazy, I mean, like you have to uh, basically somehow identify that he is who he is and that we are his parents without a birth certificate and without a social security number in order to validate him as a U.S. born citizen and then go through the process of approving that and then getting us sent a social security number and getting him registered and everything like that. And so so if we didn't do that, then it would have been an incredibly difficult process. Sometimes that happens to people, right? People are born and their parents don't necessarily either have the resources. I mean, because some people are born just out in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, I say nowhere and I'm talking about middle America, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but Yeah, because anybody, you know, anybody yeah. in Montana, right? <laughs> they, uh, they don't have hospitals yeah, down yeah, there. That's just, all just, at-home births. It's just fucking barbarians. <clears> that's all there. remedies uh, and, uh, yeah. It's... No, but I mean, I think that, that, that it is a real thing that happens where people are born and they don't necessarily have the resources to get, to get a birth certificate and a social security card. I don't know. This is just a gut feeling. I don't know um, how widespread it is or how minute it is, but if that happens, then we've got to make sure this idea that, that you're, that you're saying here, which I'm on board with that we've got to make sure that it is as easy as possible. No, you're right. And I think yeah. that's, that's also kind I of I just like, wanted to address that. No, but I think it's a great point, but I also, unfortunately, I'm not, you know, you're not in my brain, but I think that that's somewhat implied. And what I mean by implied is, sure. if you are changing the structure and we are now putting the, the importance of voting on having a social security number, a birth certificate, right? Mm-hmm. Then you know, the whole entire idea behind what a social security you know, number is would be have more value it would be you know and again it boils back to the education of the new system where it's like you know if we make it you know if you go okay we're now going to switch our voting system to a social security number um that's going to be pro uh, pre-registered at birth once you hit 18 um you get you know the the 
American government will reach out to you and say, hey, look, you're 18. Congratulations. Like, finish this. You'll now be registered to vote. Yeah. Um, and if that's the system, then yes, obviously, there would need to be importance on, on you know, making sure that getting a Social Security number is, uh, is not as excruciating. It's got to be a simpler process that everybody can have access to. Because yeah. you're right. Because if you don't, then that's how you manipulate that system mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is by suppressing yeah. people that get that. But I think... You know, I again, I'm not sure the amount of people that are just not filling out those forms in time. Like, yeah, I, again, I, I don't have any, you're right. any numbers. It's just a, it's just a feeling. Right, a that feeling. doesn't mean I'm right. I just you sure, know. sure. But I just think that, like, you know, I would like to think that, you know, it, it it couples with what else I said. You know, when I talk about my education and never learning the importance of voting. So it's like, yeah, you know, if I'm if I'm taught in school that I was, you know, registered and I had it was my social security number that's going to mean I vote and how important it is to vote and, mm-hmm. and I should feel pride um, that I get a chance to vote and contribute to, to how I'm governed. Um, that's a huge thing that I was never told or taught. Um, and if we, yeah. if we teach that, then, you know, each generation that grows up, they know the importance of what a social security number is. So when they have kids and they know how important it is to vote, they're going to be active you know, I would like to trust that they would be active. And I think that's where, you know, you know, maybe now, and again, I say this all the time where, you know, with Trump, um, what he did for me was he sparked curiosity in politics that I just didn't have. And I, and I talk about that in my piece, you know, I make a joke that, you know, the very first time I think I ever voted, I voted on how, uh, like how trustworthy just the names sounded yeah and that's not that's not good i'm, I'm admitting that that was naive of me yeah. to do and then it just scared me about how many other people do that how many people um you know because you know that the, names sound good yeah, yeah but i meant like you know i talk about the uh, make a brief comment about you know the ballot rhetoric and and how the measures are are said poorly worded and yeah. they use like double negatives and sometimes they're a bit confusing and you have to go through and really read the arguments to understand or like you know yeah they like, can oh. really benefit from some clear speech that's what i'm saying it's just you know it's just you know obviously you know p- politics to some people is boring what i will give you know trump credit is he's just spicing it up a little bit but um <laughs> you know you know but i know that you said you wanted to uh discuss a little bit yeah, I, I did want to. I, I do want to get into that, um, but quickly, I want to. Um, okay, yeah, um, I, I do want to kind of pose this idea about what it means to have a social security number. I mean, this is more philosophical territory here, um, which is somewhere that I I like to go to. I'm studying it, not to uh, um, not to prop myself up here, but. If we want to make it easy for people to, uh, if we want to make it easier for people to get a social security number and and opt in and become part of it and vote, then I think we should also uh, explore what it means to uh, renounce your statehood and opt out of the system. Because if people and and if um, and if it's reasonable to say that having a social security number means that you were eligible to vote or if not having one means it's unreasonable to ask to vote. I think that's really interesting philosophical territory. Um, but again, I think that if, if we, if we want to make it easy, easier for people to get a social security number and uh, take part in the system that I think that we shouldn't make it unnecessarily difficult for people to want to opt out. Right, if people want to renounce their statehood and and get rid of the social security number, I think that there should be a way 
even if, again, I don't know if it's reasonable or not to ask them not to vote, um, but even if they don't want to participate in our, in our politics, if somebody wants to renounce their statehood, get rid of the social security number, you know, they should, for the most part, they probably want to take part in the grander world as a whole, you know, whether it's just in the U.S. or in, in, the, on, in the rest of the globe. I think that we sh- that avenue should be available also. What are you trying to get at? What are you trying to get at? Like renounce your, who, who's out there being like, you know what? I'm going to renounce okay, my state so, and rip that. So, Cause it's like, it's like, it's like basically saying like, Oh, I got to peel this potato. I'm going to grab a potato peel. No, I'm going to do it with a spoon. What? Like, I mean, it's like, because yeah, social security numbers, they're linked more to that. I mean, they're, they're linked. Uh, you know, it's, it's how you, you can't really do anything without that. I understand that. Like, if you don't want to participate in voting, right. Yeah. That is your choice. Yeah. You know, if you don't, you know, if you are comfortable with what, no matter what happens and you're, you're, you're living in a bubble and you don't want to like focus on it. You just want to do your, you know, your life tasks. I think that whether you have a social security number or not, like that is okay. I, I'm not saying that anybody should be faulted for opting out of voting. I am just saying that if you want to vote and are, and your voice is not heard, that is where the problem lies. It's not with the people that yeah, don't want no, to vote. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm totally on board with that. I'm just saying, so, okay. A great example of this. And I know we're, I'm going a bit off the rails here. Sure. But, um, yeah, there, there we go, a, buddy. There, dropped yeah, it again. Yeah. You know, there was, uh, <laughs> there was a film that came out recently. Um, I didn't see it, but I'm familiar with the premise. I, I think it's called, uh, Mr. Fantastic. Um, and it stars Viggo Mortensen and it's about, uh, it's based here in Oregon. Um, a few years ago, um, maybe a decade ago, uh, this man, um, and his wife had a few kids and I think, I believe the wife died. I'm not entirely certain. And he, spoiler alert. Yes, I know, sorry. <laughs> but it was like, you know, it's like before the movie began, Rick. I got it. Um, uh, also it happened in real life. So if you, you know, like Sorry if you're spoiled by real life happenings, but um, you never mentioned that it was like based on real. Adventures. No, I just said it. Was, yeah, it was based here in Oregon. Like, yeah, well, that's that's location based. I mean, like, like oh, you know, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, oh, okay. You know, if you no, say no, a like film, this, no, this happens. So okay, okay, so, you're like, yeah, um, this film is based in California. Like, cool. I'm not going to still think that's real. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was based on the moon. Who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, so this, this happened. This guy, and he, I think he he dedicated his life to his kids insofar as his wife wanted his kids to have the best education that they, that they could have. Right. And so the, um, the way in which he did that is never got them social security numbers. And they basically lived in the forest of Oregon. Right. And they kind of lived off the land and they were very self-sufficient. And, you know, of course not everybody wants that lifestyle, but they just wanted to, they just wanted to live their own life. Now, the part of the story happens is that they get found out uh, by um, some some state or federal officials, right? And they uh, they believe that um, it's technically child abuse to like let their to to raise their kids his kids like that, right? And so I think the the you know main thing of the movie is that th- th- he's a battle in trying to make sure that he still has custody over his kids, and they try to put him in foster care or something like that, and so. It's basically the state saying, like, no, you can't live this way, you know, and what you're doing in letting these kids live out here in the wilderness and teaching them that kind of self-sufficiency and, and not, having, not giving them statehood is abuse. And I think, that's, I think that's wrongheaded. And I think I'm just saying that we should have an avenue. Now, of course, where they're living, if it's on federal lands, you know, like, of course, that's, you know – we can have that discussion also, but I'm just saying that we should have that avenue should be available for people. 
if they just want to live out in nature with their with their family with nothing you know nothing that they want to contribute to or if they want to be i mean because think about it every job that you have to get they you have to run they have to run your background check and you have to have a social security number why is that you know i there, there might be a really good answer out there that that I haven't thought of. But taxes, bro. Well, no, I, I know. Aside, <laughs> aside from taxes, like it just seems, it, you know, people can people can tax your your income if you know if you don't have a social security number. Now, I just, I don't know. I'm I'm exploring territory that I haven't really gotten, you know, haven't really thought of clearly just yet. I just think that there should be an avenue for people right. who I don't just... want to participate in society as a whole. I, I just think that we should have that available for them. I'm just not sure how that pertains to what we're talking about. Like, I, where, it, <laughs> like where are you? I yeah, mean, like, thanks for, it, for knifing me right now. I want to. I'm just talking about the yeah. idea of like you know suppressing voters and things like that and using social security. I think too, it's like you know, if I if you want my, I guess subjective answer is I think the reason is you should when you're in a country. Um, your social security number just states that you're a citizen of that country, so you get the perks of being a citizen. So you'd be employed in that country. Um, you can you can take part of the benefits in that country. You can take part of the the way that the, the country's ran and systems done because the you know the reality of of what we live in is you know we're taxed on property, we're taxed on our income, we're taxed on and certain states are taxed on their groceries. So you know all theft. <laughs> uh, but I'm not, you know, regardless of what you think it is, yeah. we contribute hey. to the overall running of, of the country. Our money is used um, you know poorly. Uh, my opinion. <laughs> we'll get into that. I talk about mil- military spending, so we yeah. can go down that route in my piece. But um, but that social security number, you know, subjectively to me, just says that you have a right to participate, you know, in that kind of system because you will now be contributing to everybody else that's in that system. Yeah. And, and so I'm not disagreeing that people should have an option to not want to do that. But in the idea of running a democracy, you know, I don't necessarily think that that point really just you know makes anything about you know what why the system is wrong or but the problem is I just I just think that um, we are so focused on on making uh, the system work which is great I just think that we should have an avenue for people and again you know my my funniest thing is I guess this is my opt out here is where I go you know I'm not saying that I have the answers but I'm saying that I am you know able to acknowledge the problem i think uh you know and, and and start conversations on that and i think the best way uh you know the best kind of metaphor is is you know i don't know how to fly a helicopter right but if i see a helicopter in a tree i know that that pilot fucked up you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. so i don't know what that pilot could have done to fix it because i don't know how to fly a helicopter but i can acknowledge when the pilot made a problem yeah. um because if i see him crashed in a tree i can go yeah something that's not how to fly that's airplane. not how to fly an airplane <laughs> or, 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 or a helicopter yeah. so i can go like yeah i can acknowledge that that's not how you fly a helicopter and there was a problem or i can acknowledge maybe what that problem would have been wind or things like that how to fix that problem is more you know of of the knowledge of people that are trying to do the system but i think you know, that's where it's like, for me, I'm not saying we should find solutions, but it's just fascinating just to acknowledge and see if other people are noticing the things that I noticed, you know, noticing the, the issues of, of certain things that to me were implied in a democratic system, but are not necessarily followed. And that's my last point is, is, is that I feel like democracy, if that's the, the system that you run for your country, education should be so important. It should be the most important yeah. because it's the common people voting on ideas that, that they're going to govern all of us. Yeah. And absolutely. if ideas are what being voting on, then we need to teach 
how to properly digest ideas and how to properly talk about them. And I talk about, you know, let me get your opinion on this real quick. What did you think about when I talked about, you know, an implication is getting an unbiased idea presented and then we can digest that. And I go into the immigration. So I talk about how, you know, saying that criminals are going to come in and steal our jobs and they're going to do all this and that. That is a very biased rhetoric towards that idea when, you know, really that idea could have been pitched, uh, you know, more objectively by stating that building a wall would help, you know, national security and it would help flow who comes in and out. And we just want to make sure that we're protecting yeah, it. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, saying that criminals are going to come in is a, is a, is a, um, a biased digestion of that idea. But the toxicity of ideas because they're presented already with a biasy, um, to me, is, is a problem as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I, think, um, I think people, uh, politicians probably uh, in, ineffectually <laughs> about, uh, when they talk about it, um, we, there, there is a way to talk about issues. Okay, so like the border... Is a great is a great example, right. right? And immigration is that, you know, now people on the left like Hillary Clinton has has have publicly said that they want open borders, right? And I I don't think I don't think that's right. And I don't know if you think that's right in open borders, whatever that means. You know, like we just want some uh, some membranous, uh, you know. Air, you know, area where people can just come in, you know, willy nilly. I don't think any. I don't think we anybody really wants that. Um, and when we talk about border security, that even that, I mean, that sounds really benign, you know, maybe to you or I, but when people on the left or Democrats hear that, they're like, holy shit, are you saying that we can't let anybody in? No, no, no. We just, we don't want wholly closed borders and we don't want wholly open borders. We just want a, a secure border where we can vet who comes in and who comes out. And if people want to immigrate, uh, uh, to the United States, then there should be a, 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 a process to doing that. And it should be, it should be easy, but it should be a process, right? It shouldn't just be like, hi, I want to be a citizen. They're like, okay, you're a citizen. Like there should be a process to it. Um, but we shouldn't shy. We shouldn't turn people away also, you know, like this caravan that is still several thousand miles away coming through Mexico, you know, if they are asylum seekers, if there is a good enough reason for them to be seeking asylum, then there should be a way for us to bring them into our country for protection, you know? Now, obviously, we need to make sure that every single one of those person is of the best intent, right? And that they're not, like, part of whatever they're escaping, right? You know, you've got some, you know, other foreign agents in there, like, wanting to actually do harm. Yeah, we need to vet those people. But there should be a pathway, you know, it, it should be a process, but it should also be, there should be a clear line to be able to find and seek asylum or seek citizenship. Um, and so I do think that there is a way to present that information in a clear way that is without bias. I do think, however, also that people will find their, their, their problematic niches, right? Like they're like, well, if you mean if letting people in, you could be letting terrorists and all them other people in. I'm doing a really der derivative accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, or, yeah, yeah. That was not Southern. That was, uh, you know, he wasn't trying to be like, someone from the South. Like that the sounds most, like someone from the South. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think to, to, to cut your point, I do agree that, you know, we shouldn't just have open borders, right? I'm yeah. not saying that that should be the problem. But I, 
you know, again, this is easy for me to say because I'm not the one that has to solve the problem. Um, I know, you know, I can make this statement. You know, it's no, like, we've got to talk about it. That's what I love about sports. You know, it's like, that guy should have caught that pass. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, perfect. Let's make fun of the, you know, the talented athlete while I sit on my couch <laughs> and drink a beer. Dollars, yeah. While I sit on my couch and drink a beer and critique him. So this is kind of like me, you know, sitting on, sitting on the chair critiquing this. But yeah. I think building a wall is just lazy. It's not a very good reform program. I think it's not like... It's complex. You know, we've talked about this before where I, you know, when I looked at government and I look at the way that you run, you know, every situation should be, you know, individuals experience different things. And each case is different on an individual level and experience. And the more that you broaden how to rule or you know, to, to, to govern people, the, the more wider you get, I feel like the more difficult it becomes because then you have to create things that are blanketed over America in a whole when so many of us come from different situations and different understandings. And so, yes, it is a complex issue to talk about immigration reform, but I think that there should be a better way to reform that to, you know, be able to vet people properly, to be able to, you know, not just let anybody in, but also have a good structure for doing that without building a wall and putting people in cages, particularly children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's got to be a better way. I mean, I'm not a scientist. No, yeah. Well, and you know, I do, I want to get into education, but I also just want to bring up like how beautiful the phrase is it's always greener on the other side you know if if we had a border wall along all of fucking mexico like you know that just wants that that makes people want to get in more right like like like, you're talking about like a don't push the red button scenario right yeah you're like are you kidding like there's a wall like i need to get over there so like reverse psychology or reverse psychology yeah yeah, exactly you you can't get in here so i want to get in yeah well it's just like also like that america Whatever the ideals, you know, liberal democracy, if that's what people are after and seeking asylum or, or citizenship, when you put a wall in between that and they already want it, that probably psychologically makes them want the United States more. It's just like, oh my God, like they're making it extremely difficult. I, I have to get there. Like I've got to get there. And so when we have these border walls here, it's probably just – probably a, a even greater an incentive to try and come oh not only that but i think it's you know yeah. to, to go off that point i think it's funny if you really think about it you know think about how egotistical america is in general but like you know this is the land of the free we're the home of the brave like we, we love to live here the american dream and this is what we pitch right this is what mm-hmm. we pitch and this is what you make know, it sound really attractive yeah exactly so yeah. what i'm saying is the other world would see how attractive that we we make americans make america yeah. seem how, and then then we're mad that people want to Come in here and have that opportunity. No, no, no. You can't come in here. Yeah, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean you want that American dream? That's just for Americans, dumbass. You know, but it's just really funny. American. And I don't mean, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I guess I should stop you. We should stop using Southern accents. (laughs) Very derivative accents. It's just so natural to do that. I'm from the south of Oregon, so like. Oh, my God. I've heard that accent. I mean, you know what? My family is from Texas, so I feel like I have some better say because I have some, you know. You know, it's funny. My family is from Texas also. Like, literally, half of my family is from Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, I guess we. So, we've earned it. Yeah, we've earned the right to do that. But no, but I think, too, it's really funny if you think about that, if you think about how we talk about America. You know how we 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 put it on this pedestal of like you know yeah. this this freedom and this yeah. opportunity that you get here and look at all these suppressed places in the world these suppress these suppressed and they look at America and they view like this freedom and I can imagine how and in, you know intoxicating that mm-hmm. that must be mm-hmm. like how mm-hmm. desirable to go from being suppressed to 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 imagining a, a land where you can be free yeah um, and so we have to understand that. 
if that is, you know, if that's the Kool-Aid we're putting into the world, you know, people are going to want to drink that Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we sure. can't, yeah, we can't just like. We can't be blind to that. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like, do you understand like the message that we're putting out here? Right, know? exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, and again, you know, to fight the counterbalance, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that America. Okay, so our new reform is let's just talk about how shitty America is because if we if we talk about how shitty it is, then nobody's going <laughs> to want to come here. Um, you know, yeah. I'm not saying going that route. I'm just saying that acknowledging that um, we should feel proud that this is a country that people want to be in. Um, yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. And then yeah. you know, I guess you know what's nice is nowadays you know with our current political system and, and trump and all that jazz and then they're going to get here and they'll be like oh shit oh, i'm gonna turn no yeah i'm gonna turn around i think i'm gonna go back to where i was because that might be yeah wrong time of the year you know and i think it's interesting if you you know what scares me or what's really hilarious if you uh you know if you you know again i i bring up the daily from the new york times i listen to them quite often every morning yeah that's okay i know but they did uh you know they, they had sent a reporter out there with the caravan and it was actually a lot of people that this reporter interviewed, they had no idea that Trump is is so anti this particular caravan. Oh, yeah. Like they are completely ignorant yeah. to what, what? <laughs> how America and a whole is viewing their, them on their way. And you know, it's yeah, again well, the opposite. You day. know, I'm honestly <laughs> like you have to balance. Like I'm an optimist, but I also have to acknowledge realism. I have to understand that there's certain things that. You might need to be more realistic on as opposed to being optimistic on or kind of balancing those two things. And, um, you know, it's just beautiful, ignorant opt- optimism is what, is what, you know, kind of I got from... Is that what you're promoting? Just no, like... no. But that's what I'm saying is what I'm seeing where right. it was just really funny that if you watch that, if you watch that podcast, the reporter was also like, yeah, it's so crazy that they don't, they don't know yeah. Yeah, they what's, no what's waiting for them. They have no idea that, you know, this is happening. And I think that it's just... It's going to be interesting when they do finally arrive and we'll see, you know, it's just, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't really know. Like I yeah. said before, politics, uh, uh, they've, they've definitely become fascinating. I mean, we haven't been this fascinated with politics since, you know, since Bill Clinton started poking around where he shouldn't be poking around. So. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think to, to segue back on to Trump, I think that, you know, I'm going to tackle Trump in a different way because, you know, he's slandered. Everybody, you know, everybody's like irritated with him. There's people that love him, but. You know, I think what's what's best is when I wrote my piece and I started thinking about the problems with democracy, I actually started to sympathize a little bit with, you know, with potential people that support Trump because I think what it boils down to is that the system, again, look at the rhetoric that's being used. How many politicians have said Washington is broken? Oh, yeah. Like, and that's on both sides. You oh, have yeah. Republicans saying it's broken. You have Democrats saying it's broken. It's been, it's been, that's been a talking point for a long it time. It has. America's, yeah. I feel like, you know, and again, I think, you know, that freaking office. Whoever came like, up with that phrase deserves, like, a lot of money, right? Because right, so yeah. Things, so, yeah. but what I'm saying, though, is, like, so I think that what Trump supporters is, they may have seen that the system was broken in the first place, and they may have noticed that what Trump is, is as vulgar and as ridiculous he is, he is somebody that does not follow this system yeah. and you know again I can't remember who said this I'm not the original one that said this but this point um, is really important I think you know uh, he was the wrong answer to the right question mm-hmm. um, and, and that's kind of what I mean when I write this yeah. piece I go wow you know there are in my mind a lot of problems with how we're running this democracy or how democracy should be ran and it's kind of like this you know shit show uh, as I stated yeah. of, of you know back and forth of like no like it's just a it's just a competition between Republican who can win and who can make the other look as bad as possible yeah um and 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 so for he he just kind of mixes that up a little bit uh you know again how 
you know, the fact that he has, you know, the talk about the Jim McAllister thing, regardless of if you think he had potentially touched that intern when he tried to take the mic away, um, <laughs> like, you know, him to so have the nerve to call somebody a terrible person or whatever, or, or a hateful person mm-hmm. is really interesting, you know. I think I saw this post on, on Twitter that made me laugh because it had said something like, um, you know, Trump went... You know, Trump was so easy critical of, of, a, of a reporter trying to ask questions, but you know, when you when you kill a journalist, you know, it's it's all good. You know, oh, talking yeah. about the Saudi Arabian prince, and you know, yeah. I was like, no, we're still going to support him. It's like, wow, you know, he comes down harder. You know, calls a reporter a terrible person for you know asking questions, but mm-hmm. you know, won't judge that. Well, and, even um, you know, before the election, I mean, I I don't uh, support all of uh, his way of thinking and ideas but we were watching john oliver last night uh, for the season finale and they were talking about authoritarianism and how trump exhibits a lot of traits of authoritarians um and i think it's really interesting and and i want to i want to get into that but one of the examples that he used was that you know before the election he had uh you know one of his many many rallies that he for some reason continues to rally you know post-election um is that, you know, he was talking about how much he hated all of the journalists, you know, people like CNN and MSNBC and, and you know, probably not Fox News, but all, <laughs> all the people that, you know, yeah, there's been a few there. times. There's no, been a few yeah, times. You're, no, you're right. You know, but all the people that were there filming him, you know, trying to report on, on the event, he was just like, yeah, I hate those people. I really hate them. I wouldn't kill them. Eh, maybe. No, I wouldn't kill them. You know, and it's like, we know he's joking, kind of, but at the same time to just even have that, rhetoric of like killing journalists like having or having them killed it's like what where are we now like this this feels like a whole new thing and i think what that really speaks to is that you're right trump is was the wrong answer to the right problem you know everybody uses that washington is broken you know that tired yep. trying you know trying true phrase and a lot of people you know it's that's it's correct in a lot of ways you know because there are many uh you know to use the problematic term systemic problems that, you know, which I also think the world were problematic and is sometimes I hate using that, but, um, he is our, you know, nihilist in chief, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't care. Like he is just there. He is the hammer, you know, for, for, as for a Nietzschean term, you know, Nietzsche, you know, a lot of times when he, when he came up against, uh, problems that he found, you know, uh, politically and culturally is that like, he, he is the hammer. I am the hammer. I, I am dynamite. I come in here to break things up. Of course, that's only one part of the one part of the you know one side of the coin is that you know the hammer destroys, but it's also there to create. What Trump is, he's he's that only he's only one side of that coin. You know, he is there to break and smash and like I don't care what it does. Like I just want to give off the impression, the impression that. Uh, I am what, you know, people care for, right? You know, his voters, his base, other Republicans are like, look at me. They like me. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm coming in here. I'm the answer. Breaking up Washington, draining the swamp. You know, like, it doesn't, nothing matters to him, you know, except his popularity, right? Like, that's all that matters to him. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's definitely, you know, there's an ego issue there. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, you know. I think it's really funny. It's kind of like that thing where borderline narcissist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. borderline narcissist. I think yeah. it's safe to say you know it's an it's an it's a narcissist. Not, not even on the border. Not he's even on the borderline. In the he's, land of narcissism. He's in the land of narcissism for sure. But I think that you know it's, what's fascinating about Trump is he, I again this is subjective, but I feel that he was like you know what 
being president, that'd be like a very cool thing. Like that'd be like the most cool, powerful thing to do is be, become. I could be the best president. I'd be the best president, and and I think that he he ran because he wanted that title, and I think it was more yeah. of that. You know, you can tell. I think that like you can see that he's like, well, maybe this was a little bit more difficult than I, <laughs> you know, maybe this is more difficult than I assumed, and I think that's why you know, as far as you know, being authoritarian or, or things of like that, or even like borderline fascism, I think what he's doing is he sympathizes with that. He sympathizes with those leaders. You know, talking about, you know, I love how, you know, it's, again, like, talk about being the only one. You know, I love that, you know, they're talking about, you know, on a Republican standpoint, they're like, oh, we have to honor the Constitution. We have to honor the Constitution. We have to honor the Constitution. And and I'm like, you realize they're called amendments, right? Like, they're literally designed to be amended. Yeah. Like, they're designed to change with the times. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, it's funny, like, no, we have to stay to this archaic text that the you know, founding fathers did years ago. Um, I don't know if archaic is the right word. Yeah, I guess that's true. I get well for me. It seems like that because it's like you know people talk about the Second Amendment and there's a joke I think Jim Jeffries makes about you know back when that was formed it was you know obviously to build the militia to fight against the government and they talked about back then it was just musket versus musket. Um, yeah. So you like load a musket yeah. and it takes forever to load and he's like God by the time it takes you to load that thing your anger is already gone and you know, you're fine. <laughs> but he, yeah. he he brings up a good point where he talks about like when that document was written we are not advanced we did not move forward you know and when you move forward things change people change culture changes right. and, and the founding fathers ha- had the foresight to be like look you know we're not always going to be this so we need to have a system you know to make amendments to sure make amendments. exactly and so and I think you know to to bring it back to Trump I think. You know, he's what it looks like he's doing is he's kind of struggling to to really understand how the democratic system works because you know I know that presidents do executive orders, but I feel like everything, almost everything, I could be wrong here, but besides the tax bill, which had zero democratic votes, um, which is interesting, but besides the tax bill, a lot of zero, zero, yeah. Um, you can look me up. You can double check me on that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. And so, if anybody finds anything different, please let us right, know. Right, right. But I, I believe that you know, there was zero Democratic support, but it still passed because, you know, of course, they were majority. But I think, you know, when you come back to him, everything else he's done has been executive order. And, yeah. and I think, too, he sympathizes with these rulers that are just able to do things that they believe is best for their countries, but is actually more self-centered. So I think look at the, you know, look at the people that he's chosen to... You know, whether it be Kim Jong-un, whether it be um, Saudi Arabian's prince, whether it be um, Putin, all these people that he you know, wants to have good relationship with, it's almost like an envious thing where he's like, yeah. you know, look, at, what, are, what do they all have in common? Okay, they are leaders that on the surface act like they're doing what's best for their country when in retrospect, you know, it might be more self-serving, um, you know, yeah, to look at that. Yeah. And there's, like, it's, there's really similar correlations, I think, to how Trump would like to run it. Um, with them and you know this idea of you know I don't think that running the presidency like a business is necessarily smart um, because it shouldn't be run like a business yeah okay so maybe okay so this is I think a good time then to really get into education and um, yeah let's do it into uh, what it means to to live in a republic and to, to have democracy as an ideal so you and I are both gamers Yes. Right, you know, you play on Xbox, I play on PlayStation. Um, but a game that we're currently sharing right now, or sharing and playing, is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yes, right, set in ancient Greece. And one of the characters who I'm sure most of our listeners would be familiar with is that of Socrates. You know, the, yes. the um, ancient uh, philosopher. 
um, where we get the term the Socratic method, right, when it comes to philosophical inquiry. Well, one of the, um, uh, my wife just informed me that they had this uh, question there. I don't know if you encountered it, but one of the um, quests or conversations that you that your character encounters is um, Socrates uh, uh, having a, a debate with a character known as Thrasymachus. He was another, um, uh, I can't remember what he uh, what he did, but he was a um, he was really wealthy, and he was kind of he was aggressive almost all the time. Now, Socrates, as you've pointed out in playing, is kind of an annoying guy, yeah, right. And so, or he's well, he's, he's he's painted to be that way in the game. Yeah, you know? well, and I mean, he was kind of like that, just in reality. And oh, you better personally, yeah. you know. They, uh, well, yeah. I'm just saying, like, everything <laughs> no, that's good. written about about him. Yeah, is, my boy Sacra. That's yeah, what we call him. That's boy Sacra. Yeah, boy Sacra. We yeah. go way back. Yeah, you know? big old tease. You know, um, <laughs> you know. Um, most people have that reaction to him. We, you know, Thrasymachus is, is the prime example in, in his aggressive response. But the, the conversation that they're having is about justice and what it means to, you know, Thrasymachus poses to Socrates that it is better to live an unjust life than it is a just life. And their whole conversation delves into pointing out that the that the just, who, who you know, uh, someone who is just is purely there to, um, uh, it's for the benefit or the advantage of the strong, right, over, over the weak. And Socrates has a problem with that. It's like, okay, is it really that, you know, and, and Thrasymachus is like, yeah, I mean, that's what the, the rulers, that's how they're living. And they get into a debate and Thrasymachus pushes back and says that the, you know, if you're living a life of unjust, then it is also the, to the advantage of the stronger. And Socrates has a problem with these contradictions. But the main point that, that comes up is that Thrasymachus is um, putting this quality of, of advantage of the strong onto the rulers, right? And saying that rulers are there to, um, to look out for themselves. And Socrates pushes back on this. And that, like, isn't, isn't the profession or, or skill of becoming a ruler to look after the people, Right, not yourself. You know, and this is where the idea of the reluctant ruler kind of comes in, which we've brought up uh, before off mic, is that you shouldn't want to get into politics or become a ruler or a king or, or a president or some type of political representative to look out for yourself. Right? It should be about the people that you want to represent. Right. You know, and the broader conversation that we're having here is that of course a lot of people are either looking out for themselves or looking out for you know their quote-unquote investors you know if we want to look at this through the lens of business and you know in this uh broader historical uh, context here uh, thrasymachus pushes back and says that being a ruler is like a kind of um, an art or craft and the ancient greek word is techne and that's where we get like technical and technology from in that um, uh, there is a process and of of doing this and then the end product is justified by all the means and so the end product of ruling in thrasymachus's point of view is that um uh it should be towards the benefit of the ruler and socrates is basically pushing back on this um, and I think is what it shows, and the the uh, it's from Plato's book uh, The Republic. What this shows is that Thrasymachus isn't actually committed to justice. In that, if you have a commitment to justice, even though I think the definition of that I 
I don't know if I could give you a satisfying definition. Sure. Um, if you are committed to justice and you take up in the political, if you have a political life, and Socrates viewed, you know, the, uh, this is where we get uh, polis from, you know, the people are the people that live in the city, and that's how, you know, that's why we talk about politics, is if you are having a political life, then you should be concerned with your fellow polis, with your fellow people, and not yourself. And that's kind of just the broader message in that book. And I think what's interesting about that is in relations to uh, uh, education is that there, later on in the text there's this uh, famous uh, image of the cave where Socrates is, is talking to his friend Glaucon about how education in, in, you know, in, in ancient Athens then, but I think has a lot of parallels now, is that we are all kind of living in a cave. And we're seeing the shadows on the wall from a fire uh, being projected on the wall. And that's what we think the world is. We don't see that there's shadows. And the process of education is kind of forcefully liberating the prisoner who was there in the cave and bringing them out into the light to see the light, to see how things really are. And in that process of education, the person who was liberated has to go back and help liberate the prisoners, the other prisoners in there, but he's laughed at and he's pitied and say like, okay, how could you believe this? And I think this is the problem that we're up against in, the modern, in, in our modern times is that there are people like you and I who have been fortunate enough to have had a good education, right? We've been out there. You went to college, you know, for theater arts, but you still got exposed to very many different I ideas. did. It's a culture of anthropology yeah. classes, history classes. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, I mean, you yeah. lived in L.A., you lived in New York, so yes. you were exposed to many things. Right, 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 right. I've only lived around Oregon, but I've been, you know, going to college for a few years now, and I've been exposed to a lot of different ideas. There are people who are not exposed to this kind of level of education, and when we want to look at Trump voters, for example, they see what he's doing and they're like, yeah, this is great. Washington is not working for me, right? And he comes in, he's like, fuck it, let's... Stir let's it just, up. Yeah. You know, let's destroy this, you know, and, and do something for them. And they're like, this is great. But when we try to approach them, and I think this is where sympathy and empathy can come in, yes. you know, in, in having these better conversations, is that when we try to approach them, like, hey, you know, I don't... I don't actually think this is maybe the best way to go about doing this. Have you considered all this? Like, no. I don't want to think about this. This is how the world is. Like, I'm seeing this. You know, this is my world. Like, how, when we go back and try and liberate these people from these point of view. Now, I don't know what that says, you know, whose, whose role should it be as liberators, you know, or as educators. Obviously, I think teachers is is the best position and we we should be valuing teachers more in what they're doing um but people have a negative response to education you know who are living in a kind of in a cave and i and it's and it sucks to like have to use that imagery for people you know maybe in middle america or maybe in our very state who are living this kind of life of of ignorance you know and who are we to say what's best for them but at the same time and i know i'm rambling here but uh how how do we go about better educating them? Okay, you know when we're up against that kind of resistance. Sure. So I want to you know throw a couple flags in a few things that you said. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, it would be cautious of time. We're an hour forty two minutes, so well, uh, we're kind of yeah. we're an hour forty two. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. cranking in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. tells you conversation yeah. is great. So yeah. uh, I know we're being cautious of time, so we'll do this here. But uh, so uh, first thing I want to throw a flag in is is the whole idea of unjust and just life and and things like that. So I think that you know. 
where my brain went was viewing the ideas as an individual versus a collective. So I think that from the standpoint of an individual, maybe there are moments where living an unjust life for us individually is, is better. And what I mean by that is let's take speed limits for an example, right? Mm-hmm. Speed limits, I think everybody overall would admit the speed limits are okay. They're, they're, they're there to make sure that you know, accidents don't happen. And keep the, but all of us individually have gone over the speed limit. You know what I mean? To get to where we're going. And when we're pulled yeah, over... All the time. And we, get a, <laughs> yeah. and we get a speeding ticket, we're like, that ah, fucking... Wow. You know what yeah. I mean? We're upset. But yeah. because... So for us, on an individual level, I was driving okay. Yes, I was going above the speed limit. I had to get somewhere. I understood I was breaking a law. And I got a ticket for it. And then that's frustrating. So like in that standpoint, you know, I can understand where you can sympathize with something unjustly. Um, but from a collective standpoint, you know... That's where things get blurry, where if we don't live a just life, we don't make the harder decisions, you know, for the right reasons. Like, that's when things get, you know, in trouble. And, right, you said the definition on justice is is difficult because I feel like there's moral and ethical implications that need to be put on on justice. And that's, you know, vastly different for each individual experience. So that's also something that you have to note. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when it comes to the idea, you know, of, of reasoning to do the more difficult thing. Right, that is the last part of the brain that is developed. That's the frontal cortex where that reasoning comes from to do the harder thing. And, and you know, it is stated that like the science twenty five is like the age when that kind of develops is the last thing to, yeah. to develop. And yeah. when you talk about the education problem, you know, again, when you talk about leaders and followers, right? Leaders, right? People that lead, they set the example for people that are following. You know, and I see this, you know, on a sm- on a smaller micro level. When it comes to like, you know, my, my, my work, my job, you know, when I have, you know, my leaders and my job, right, it's really staggering what they do behaviorally really does affect how the other staff acts. Yeah. If I have, if I, if they, if they come into my, my employment and they go, okay, so that person's a leader, they're told that that person's a leader, then they will indirectly, because they know that that person has achieved leadership status will be justified in their behaviors because of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult for me to explain to my, my leaders that everything that you do is watched and, and people are going to look up to you and they're going to mimic your behavior. And look at our leaders, all right? This is the point that I make. And I believe it's 2015, 54% of the budget was spent on defense. It's roughly uh, 598.6 or $4 billion, mm-hmm. okay? Um, that's uh, uh, political strategies incorporated. I believe did that. Uh, another, the I think Peter G. Peterson Foundation did uh, an article. They posted it in, in, in the early May of 2017, and they said that the U.S. government spends more on defense than the next top six economies combined. And there's like Saudi Arabia, Russia, China, Japan, India. Um, all of those, you know, were stacked up there, and we spend more on defense than all of those combined. And so. Just to me, our leaders are purposely showing that violence, you know, and, and security are way more important than education. Mm-hmm. You know, when teachers are being underpaid, when, you know, I think the statistics in my article, you can look it up. I have my work cited where you can see all my numbers. 94% of, of, of public school teachers have to use their own money to buy school supplies. Um, when the average, you know, when you want to go to college, right, when the average student debt uh, borrower owes $37,000, you know, by the time they either, and that's not even graduating. It's just what they owe because you still have to get loans. So what our leaders are showing us 
is that education doesn't need to be valued. And you can reflect that a majority of Americans, maybe subconsciously or indirectly, will see that. Yeah. And they will also value that opinion. So I think that, you know... I think that's a good point. Yeah, and an optimistic, you know, as optimistic as I am, if the leaders show a shift and valuing education the way it deserves to be valued, and then we can see as a collective that that's being valued, I would like to believe that there would be a cultural shift in how we collectively value education. Yeah. Uh, and it's also an archaic system. And I think, you know, education, you know, we teach kids the same way f- that we've taught kids for hundreds of years. You know what I mean? Like sit in the front of a classroom, you memorize this knowledge, you take a test. You know, technology is constantly transforming. Everything's transforming. I feel like, you know, it should be, we should start having conversations of better ways to educate. You know, not this whole, you know, just terrible system of, I'm going to feed you facts, you have to memorize these facts, and then you have to pass a, a, a quiz or a test that says you know them. I think, you know, more active learning, more creative thinking, more understanding, more discussions, more, if that is taught from early on, and if we value that, I think it could make a nice shift, and it could... Yeah, I think um, I think something that would, uh, that would help with that is, you know, when going into um, elementary and, well, I think elementary is a little bit different, but going into... Um, uh, middle school and high school. Um, we say middle school here in the U.S. I don't know if our audience members will be anywhere else in the world, but um, uh, middle school for us is sixth to eighth grade. For yeah, those of you that... but what's it? What's the other word for it? Um, not pre-high school, but uh, oh my, junior high school. Yeah, um, you know we have middle school and high school, and um, I think in the, in in that um, place of learning that we can kind of uh, learn, we can kind of take a page from uh, just college in general. I mean, when you sit down, not necessarily in a lecture format, but when you have smaller classes, I mean, most of the class is dedicated to good discussions and conversations and trying to work through the material. I think that's something that we can implement, I think, in a good way, especially in high school, you know, where, I mean, I don't know, it's been 10, yeah, like 10 plus years since I've yeah. been in yeah. high school. I think the same for you. So, yeah. I mean, like... We're the same I age, dumbasses. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, the same yeah, age. Uh, I, think yeah. the, I think the same for you, it's right? You're like... Date drinking is yeah. what's oh, really yeah, yeah. me. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was like in high school, but I remember it not being very engaging. Um, yeah. No. And, and I think something that would, uh, would, that would help with that is to just, just be able to... to break out and have better conversations with the right students. or you know you know i remember my teacher my english teacher miss felton you know when i took her creative writing course i actually became a ta for that teacher or later on because what i loved is uh she followed that thing where she would we'd write stories and then when we would pitch kind of what we were writing about when everybody would read somebody was you know that somebody else had written she purposely blocked off about a 45 minute period to have conversations mm-hmm. um and her class was one of the most vivid classes that i remember um because of the fact that we were able to talk we were able to you know and i'm not saying that every single class that you're in doesn't have this kind of discussion style but i just think that you know there's certain things that should be taught like i think you know again why i why my blog is titled am i the only one because you know if i remember correctly one of the important things about debating in general is understanding the the opposition argument and if you can if you can sympathize with the opposition argument, then you can restructure your own 
and find you know the the you know the the places of weakness in those arguments and exploit them and, and make your points more stronger. And so you know, like I think I always go back to Ron White's joke where this is where you know this is years and years and years ago, right? When Ron White came out with the blue collar comedy tour, uh, which oh, I find yeah, sort of but, you know, his joke is actually more relevant now than it's ever been before. He talks about how his joke is, he says, uh, he was in debate class in high school. And, you know, the, the other side said their argument. And he said, well, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> and he said, you know, he's like, they were speechless, so I thought I had won. <laughs> um, and that's like the joke there where he made him speechless, so he thought he won. And I feel like that's like a, a great representation of, of what's massively going on now. It's like any time that, you know, there is... You know, and I'm not talking about debate just on a structured platform. I'm talking about anybody that has conflicting ideas in a sense. If they talk to each other about their ideas, that's an sense of debate. Um, so when we have conflicting ideas, instead of like, okay, I understand your idea. This is kind of my idea. This is where it differs from yours. It's, wait, you don't believe what I believe? <laughs> Fuck you. You know, and that, that's just yeah. what it is. That's yeah. just where, that's where we are, you know. And again, I'll talk about this too. Uh, uh, you know, Ian, you know this, but I want my listeners to hear the story where I was baffled because... I sympathize with the left. I'll admit that when it comes to how angry they are um, because of the fact that I remember being with my friend in Portland and we we're with his brother and I'm not going to give names and keep everything anonymous, but you know, he had made a comment that, you know, it's not Trump's fault for the office that Obama left him in because Obama is the most war hawkish driven president of all time in American history, I believe is what he said. <laughs> yeah. And all I, you know, that was a really huge statement and I wasn't like trying to talk down on it. Literally all I had said was, please tell me what you have found to make that statement. Like yeah. of, in American history, really like, and then I got called a moron for not seeing it that way. And I was just so surprised by that, that, you know, I, I would maybe sympathize more if I said, you're wrong. If I told him that he was directly wrong and he called me a moron, maybe, you know, that that's like kind of attacking somebody's personal understanding. I could sympathize, but just for me to ask him to clarify and for me to be called a moron because I wanted him to clarify, um, th that just tells me that, and I, I, I will admit it took every fiber in my being to suppress, you know, getting upset and, and starting to lash out at him and, and not, you know, yeah. very debatable way yeah. just because yeah. of, of that, that sentiment. Well, I think, uh, just right there. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that's a good way to, to end it is that we, you know, part of what we're doing is trying to have better conversations. That's clearly a breakdown of communication. Yes. Right? And, and, and just having that kind of negative backlash. And that's all we want. You know, what, whatever the topic is, you know, we, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of, clear, you know, categorize myself in the classical liberal, you know, kind of camp. I think you are, I think you're liberal, but I think you would probably call yourself a progressive. If Pro, Yeah. Know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I and, would say that I'm starting to learn to, you know, I, you know, yeah, I would, and I would you know, well, there's a stigma, you know, on, you know, a lot of people who criticize the introduction, the, the intellectual dark web, you know, for claiming that they're liberal. Um, a lot of, you know, the criticism is that they're, you know, secret conservatives and uh, that liberalism for some reason, you know, has been usurped by the left and people call themselves liberal or actually on the right. Whatever all that means, I think you and I have a lot of differing political ideas and I, and I can't wait to explore them further. But that shows, I mean, today, I mean, we weren't yelling at each other. You know, there were points that, you know, I'm sure in our conversation today, there was lots of disagreement that we could really get into. Sure. Um, but we were able to sit down and have a good conversation. And, right. Um, 
And so I think that's what really what we're trying to do. Sure, and I think too, you know, you know, obviously this being the first episode, it's great, and you know, we're we're pushing you know an hour, you know, almost two hours because we always yeah. can have good conversation. You know, I mean, yeah, but, we're, yeah, we're just yeah, like we're doing hours. well here. But yeah. I think the I think you know the the point that you know I want my you know listeners to know is that the reason why I really wanted to do this is because I you know listening to podcasts from Joe Rogan and Sam Harris and. Um, you know, the people they have on, the Weinstein brothers and uh, Weinstein, sorry. No, no, they're Wein- it is Weinstein. It is Weinstein? Yeah, oh my God, yeah, I said yeah. it right the first time. You know, yeah. everybody, you know, butchers the way pronunciation yeah. goes. But yeah. um, what the, all these people are doing is, you know, they are promoting this this idea of, you know, conversation and, and understanding that how important communication is. And, and everybody can agree, like even in other aspects, which we can go with this later, like this little, you know, kid, you know, but it's the idea of like relationships too. You can think about all relationships that has failed, it's mainly because of a communication problem. So, yeah. you know, it's, you can stem communication in problems of all other areas. But I felt at first, you know, when I started my blog, I felt that I didn't, I wasn't able to have a voice because I don't have a degree from Harvard. I'm not a teacher. I'm not this scholar. And, and it's funny because, you know, you're going to school when we went to that talk, you know, I'm like, I mean, you know, it's great. I can, I can get a lot of the talk, but I'm like, wow, everybody's asking questions. They're not asking questions. They're like, let me tell you how smart I am. And let me make comments on everything you said. And then I'm like, where was the question? And like, no, just go ahead and comment. And I'm like, whoa. Um, so I just wanted to promote that, you know, even Writing me. philosophy. Yeah. Or you know, even me, just, the, you know, somebody who uh, lives in the world as a relatively normal person. You know, I do have a BFA in performing arts and I do, uh, but I just wanted to promote self-education and, and the fact that anybody can sit down and talk about these issues and they can learn about these issues. And, and, you know, I just hope that, you know, listeners here, you know, we're always welcome to, if you have topics you'd like us to discuss, obviously let us know. And we're going to keep growing and eventually you might have guests who might do all this fun stuff. But um, for now, you know, we can't do this without you. So you just yeah. want to say thank you for those of you that are listening. It's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, you have any last kind of things you want to say before we, no, I think um, just, uh, just a last thing uh, you can find me um on Twitter at Modern Overman or at my website www.modernoverman.com and Josh. Yeah, right sure. I'll do this here. Uh, I'm on. I got a Facebook page. If you want to uh, follow me on Facebook, that's where you can actively see my posts. Uh, uh, the only one uh, question mark. Obviously, it's kind of important to do that. And uh, my website is uh, www.theonlyone.cf. Um, so yeah. So yeah. Okay, that's a good place to end it. Let's get out of here. All right, bye.